0: You're listening to the Banana Data Podcast, a podcast hosted by Data IQ. I'm Trevaney. And I'm Will. And we'll be taking you behind the curtain of the AI hype, exploring what it is
1: and what it isn't
0: capable of. Will you and I collaborate like a lot for this? We definitely try. Right. Well, we try to collaborate. Most of the time it's one of us telling the other person what to do.
1: Yep. Yeah. Usually you telling me.
0: Oh well, you know. You gotta do what you gotta do. But As like data scientists, as analysts, you know, as people in this space, how do you collaborate with other people?
1: That's a good question. Slack. Oh yeah. Slack's a big one.
0: But that's communication.
1: Yeah. So I would say communication is a key component to collaboration. Right. So collaboration, you're working together towards some common goal, but ultimately the work is done by one person often, right? Like if you think about coding and Git and writing commits, like I write one line of code, you write another line of code, and we maybe choose which line we like better. Or if we're working on a slide deck in Google Docs or something, it's like, I probably make a slide, you make a slide, and then we're slacking about it. Or maybe we're using tools like Git or like Google Docs or like IQ, where we can work together and thereby collaborate. But yeah, I think almost... Collaboration and communication, they're maybe not synonymous, but you know, one requires the other, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's for sure. I take a little issue with the idea that ultimately like the work we do is individual, right? So yeah, like we sit down and we talk about we want XYZ and this is our collaboration part. But I do think that there's like a lot of pair programming that happens.
1: And I guess to the point you just made, right? The ideation for lack of a better term, right? Ideation you could say is maybe a fairly collaborative task where you and I just sit in a room, we put our heads together, and we just sit there and think, and maybe that's a shared human endeavor, and you're fully collaborative in that. But in general, it's like, if you think about the tasks of business so often, it's one person doing something and then reporting up, reporting down, reporting laterally.
0: So what I'm hearing is that there's layers, right, to collaboration, right? So it's like, from the top, we get some sort of goal or metric that they want measured, measured and analyzed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's different Parts two, collaborating, right? Ideating versus the actual doing. But then also maybe what I hear you getting at as well as different types of collaboration, right? So Mm -hmm. you and I kind of operate on a peer-to-peer basis. You might boss me around sometimes, Trevenny. But in theory, right, we're co-hosts of a podcast. So we're like lateral collaborators. But then if you have a boss... Or like if our team reports up to some boss, then that's a different type of communication. Or if our team works kind of in parallel with another team, right? Data science team and a marketing team. So I think particularly in the business world, there are different types of lateral and vertical methods of collaboration as well that kind of muddy the waters.
0: Yeah. Well, and so then that's the collaboration that's happening in a very non-technical way. Yeah. And then like you said earlier, there's all these technical tools for collaboration. Yeah, Among but, data scientists. But I think
1: even that, it's starting to blur a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just mentioned Slack previously. Slack is a tool. It's a rudimentary tool. It's just a messaging app, right? But that's a tool that allows for non-technical collaboration. When they think about something like Jira, which is a popular tool for collaboration amongst teams of coders, like is that a technical tool or not? It's basically just helping with project and workflow management.
0: I mean, like Dataiku is kind of like straddling this too, right? Because it is a tool that lets you do end-to-end analytics and all that great stuff, but then also like leave comments for each other or tag each other. So I think as collaboration grows, we're moving towards tools that mix the highly technical and the non-technical.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, thinking about Dataiku or thinking about like the G Suite, so Mm -hmm. Gmail and Google Docs and Google Slides, I think you're totally right that at least if I had to prognosticate about the future, it's like you're going to have ecosystems where you can do all the things. You can message other people, but you can also like take individual actions and you can edit individual actions. That seems to me seems like kind of the future of collaboration. I don't know if you asked about that, but I'm giving you my two cents anyways.
0: I love it. Thank you. We're going to get some more sense from Tristan Handy, who is the CEO and founder of Fishtown Analytics. So welcome to the show, Tristan.
2: Thanks so much. Uh, It's great to be here with you.
0: Yeah. So maybe just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Fishtown Analytics in general? You know, what's the pitch?
2: So I've been doing data for about 20 years now. I was like putting together Excel spreadsheets to like summarize financial performance as like a high school student. And that was Fascinating, but like I spent too much time determining how, like whether borders should be two pixels or three pixels, <laughs> like not the most value-added stuff. my entire career has been focused on data. I was a consultant at Deloitte Consulting in the early days of my career. Did like schema design and and data conversion in Oracle Warehouse Builder, and then like took ten years off of that and became a, a startup executive for a bunch of different companies. And at my last company called RJ Metrics, I ran marketing and RJ was deep in the data tooling space and Mm -hmm. had kind of tracked all of the changes in there from like 2010 through 2015. And we just got an opportunity to see all of the interesting stuff that was going on in the space. Redshift was launched, Looker Mode launched, lots of stuff was happening. And so in 2016, RJ was acquired and we, a group of three of us, myself, Drew and Connor, We're trying to figure out what to do next. And so we wanted to just see if we could take all these new cool toys and deploy them inside of the environment that we like the best, which is VC-backed startups. And so we've been helping startups implement analytics for for a long time now and have done it for
1: over 150 companies at this point.
0: Wow, that's impressive.
1: Awesome. So what were some of the trends that you saw that you kind of decided that you wanted to focus on when you started Fishtown?
2: We have four of them, but the, the big two... Are that SQL is the best API for a majority of data use cases and that data analysts are much more effective if they can have tooling that allows them to work more like software engineers. So both of those are like kind of controversial in their own way. A lot of data analysts don't feel like they are software engineers and they don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on on the command line. But as a data analyst myself going back a really long time, you spend a lot of time doing copy paste We've spent a lot of time figuring out how to, with our product DBT, how to transform this low-level role that, that included a lot of monotonous work into a high-leverage role that can impact entire organizations by using SQL, but writing it in a modular way.
0: That's so interesting. I've never heard SQL called an API before. I love that because like, it, it kind of is. But you mentioned DBT. What does that mean? And why should we care?
2: Yeah, DBT is, is uh, short for Data Build Tool. It is an open source project that we've been maintaining for, gosh, it's we're two weeks shy of its fourth birthday. It was actually originally a, a project inside of RJ Metrics. It was a great complement to a product that we released there called Stitch. So the idea was that Stitch is great for loading data into a data warehouse like Redshift, Snowflake, BigQuery, etc. And then when the data got there, you had this tremendous amount of dimensionality. You had like real granular data to work with. But if you didn't have a tool set that in that environment was allowing you to structure the data so that it could then be used in downstream tools, it wasn't that useful. You couldn't really parse through all of that mess. And so DBT, now there are over 1,500 companies using this thing every week, and they use it to structure the data in their warehouses so that they can make sense of it.
1: so... I think one of the things we want to focus on in today's conversation is just collaboration and how collaboration works in the analytics space. So what are some design principles in DBT that kind of help promote collaboration within data teams?
2: If you kind of go back to the the, the bad old days, the way that things were, you know, you have a team of 10 data analysts and they're essentially service providers for the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes with a question, it goes into a JIRA ticket, somebody triages it, and then somebody picks it up and works on it. Pre DBT, there is no real mechanism to save that knowledge mm-hmm. and share it between the entire team. What you would find is that individual analysts would like write a bunch of SQL to explore this data, and then they would save it on their hard drives yep. as you know, mm-hmm. some dot SQL file, and then they would use it to turn around their answer. And then not only would no one else on their team know about it, but they would forget about it mm-hmm. after three months too. And so DBT, instead of like saving all these random files on local computers, you check everything into Git. DBT provides you easy ways of taking SQL statements and materializing them into databases as
1: views and tables. Awesome. Can you just, for some of our listeners who might not be familiar, talk about like SQL queries and materialized views and maybe put that in slightly more layman terms? So let's
2: say that you've got a series of payments for your SaaS business. And you know that your SaaS business needs to report revenue on a MRR, monthly recurring revenue basis. But some of your payments are for one month and some are for 12 months. And what you really need to do is transform that data so that all of your payments are stated in monthly terms. What you want to do is you want to like make several data transformations that kind of operate one after another mm-hmm. to slowly reshape that data so that it now looks like one transaction per customer per month. And then once you have that data structure, you output it to your data warehouse as a table so that that table can then be queried by Tableau or Mode or Looker or whatever tools you're going to use to do the reporting.
0: Cool. So, I mean, this sounds very interesting, right? You're, you're helping collaboration by putting everyone onto the same page. How do you work through this like, collaborative process together? Like, so what is collaboration?
1: Maybe you could just walk us through a particular, you know, you don't need to name names, but uh, an engagement with a client, you know, who on Fishtown was working on it, who on their side was working on it, and how'd you work together?
2: We have a standard way that we work with all clients, and it, it really comes down to using the same tools and processes that software engineers use to, to manage their production process. The thing that is a little bit unusual with the way that we work, and it, it really does get to the collaboration thing, is that we write tests for all the code that we write. Mm-hmm. And if you don't write tests, then it's hard for anybody to actually know whether the code that you're about to merge into master is going to work or not. We write really good documentation. Then we pull that all together in a pull request. And for anybody who's not familiar with that, a pull request is just saying, hey, I'd like to merge this new chunk of code. And you know, the person who wants to merge that code writes up a bunch of comments on why they're making that change and the details around that. And then that gets reviewed by other folks on the team. And so that by the time that that code gets through the PR process, everybody on the team has had an opportunity to look at it. And only then does it actually become a part of common knowledge throughout the company.
0: So, I mean, that's collaboration from a very technical standpoint, right? Yeah. To say like, okay, JIRA tickets and sprints and GitHub, all of this stuff is stuff that I actually remember from my data analyst days. But I think... What I want to know more about, right, is how do you collaborate with more of like the high level folks, right, to say, Mm -hmm. okay, we're coming in. You say you have this problem. And after talking to you for like 30 minutes, I find out actually your problem's totally different. How do you collaborate with folks who might not know what they don't know?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's that's a totally different question. It's hard to put that in a box because every time you show up, you're walking into a, a new situation, a new set of stakeholders who have different levels of data literacy. And so the thing that as consultants, we're able to bring to the table is just having solved this problem a lot of times before. You get to overlay this sense of like, well, what is standard? And then how is the way that you're thinking about things different from standard? And that's not to say that that's wrong. It's just to say that like, we really want to dig in on those ways that you're thinking differently than best practice so that we can say like, oh, that totally makes sense given your business or
1: it's an education
2: opportunity for why, why you might want to actually change the way that you think about things.
1: One question on this point, as Trevaney alluded to, I think at least in the past, oftentimes you have someone who's got a business objective who's probably giving you a directive. And then I would assume that very often the people who are maybe in your initial meetings are not people who are verifying your pull requests. Do you hope that there's kind of a distinction between the business ask and the implementation, or should we have more fluidity between those two roles?
2: Good question. That's kind of how we break down our clients as well. We are sometimes working with business stakeholders who aren't able to read the code that we're writing at all, Mm -hmm. and they're hiring us to be the experts. And then there are sometimes we're working with technical folks who have called us in because we're specialists in this particular area. And we work with those two sets of folks really differently. When we're working with clients who are non-technical, the thing that we really try to focus on is helping them understand what it is possible to answer. Because it's not useful to just like ask random questions that you'd like to know the answer to. Mm -hmm. You need to have this sense of like, what what can we know?
0: What's kind of the makeup that you think would be most successful between sort of the technical and non-technical skills?
2: I think that if you're coming into a company that has no data competency at all, then the very first thing that you're going to be asked to do is to get core KPIs for the business. It just is the most important thing if there's no other data competency today. We talk a lot about this role we call the analytics engineer, which is kind of the librarian of the internal data resources, making sure that they can connect the pipes, get the data flowing to a warehouse, get it structured and get get core reports done. I think that that's the first thing that you have to care about. And then subsequently, you can say, well, I want to hire data analysts to, to work with marketers so that they understand campaign performance. Or you can say, really, uh, this particular class of ML modeling scenario is really so critical to our business and that could be the next thing. But all of that is going to be founded on having the core set of like information flowing to the different business units.
0: And it sounds like you, you have to have at least one person who at least understands what value can be derived from data or like maybe more specific to my industry. Do you think that's where we should be starting with our collaboration points is going out and finding someone who has industry experience with maybe a little bit of data tech background or the other
2: one? I I love that question. It's something that I was... For about six months, I was doing interviews for a blog post, essentially on that topic. Hmm. And it became such a sprawling topic that I like never ended up writing it. Honestly, I don't believe that the right answer is hiring top-down when it comes to data because there are so few people who have had the title VP of Analytics, VP of Data, and they're very hard to dislodge because they generally have pretty good jobs right now. And so the folks that I spoke to who are all like, brilliant people they had been a an IC data scientist or an IC data analyst and they just were really curious and they did fantastic work and the company needed them to grow and and they did i think it's just about like hiring individual contributors who have who have like a real sense of curiosity about the business and aren't aren't just there to like churn out tickets
1: kind of on this point but also going back to something you said previously one thing I think about to some extent in my life working at Dataiku is making technical and rigorous concepts accessible to broader audiences. And so you talked about the power of tools that originated for software engineering. So we have mentioned things like Git being kind of the gold standard for version control. But I think it's kind of a double-edged sword at times in that software engineering tools maybe are still perceived to have a high barrier to entry. Their performance comes from some rigor that also maybe makes them non-trivial to learn and get access to. Uh, So how do you think about that kind of in the future for your clients and just for the world more broadly? Do you feel like that's true or am I maybe even mistaking my premise?
2: No, no, I I agree with you. A lot of products like dbt start out as purely open source. And when you're going that route, you kind of hack together the minimum viable product, right? There's a middle ground, though, that you can type Git commands into a bash prompt, or you can use a UI that allows you to have a majority of that functionality, but hides kind of the complex implementation details behind an interface that's more standard. And and that's kind of the way that we've moved with DBT as well, is that we've wrapped up some of the complexity and and put it behind a user interface.
0: I mean, I think that's sort of the baseline of collaboration, which is to say that you've take in some of the more complex stuff and sort of solve for it so that people can then do what they actually need to do. And that in itself is quite collaborative. Okay, so at this point, we've talked about a few different kinds of collaboration, right? So there's sort of that individual contributor collaborating with others on their team or with their past selves, the analytics team itself collaborating together and collaborating with sort of higher level folks looking for KPIs and and metrics on those KPIs. But we haven't really talked about the analytics slash data science team talking to non-data people, right? So like the data scientists and analysts talking to marketing or talking to even product, right? So what does collaboration look like there, right? Because you can't just throw everything into a Git for for marketing, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to know what to do with that. How do you get those colleagues to start thinking in a more data-driven way?
2: Yeah, there's, uh, I want to plug this, this new post that Stitch Fix did it was all about their org structure. So there were some key things that they pointed out about how their organization worked. And I'm going to try to do justice to this. And they make sure that their data team has the ability to understand its impact on the bottom line. And because it can then impact the bottom line, it is able to have autonomy around what kinds of initiatives it wants to to, to undertake in in having that impact. So all of a sudden, The data science team there, instead of becoming purely like a service provider where they say, okay, what report do you need? Let me get it for you. They have their own strategic initiatives and those strategic initiatives have in the history of Stitch Fix at least been the most valuable things that that team has worked on. The other thing that they didn't speak to, but I'm like maybe reading a little bit between the lines there is that high functioning organizations have processes by which KPIs are set. And if if you do... OKRs, there's this nice way of cascading them up and down. So you set goals that are related to the goals of other teams and of of the executive management. And the nice thing about there is that it allows some wiggle room instead of just a marketing person saying, I need to know how this campaign performed. The marketing team says something more like, we need to have more visibility into the performance of our campaigns on a real-time basis. And then the data team is able to take that and say like, okay, I'm going to pull together an entire project to understand how I can make this information more available to the marketing team. And maybe that involves actually less reporting on the part of the data team, but more creating of data products. The ability of the data team to have more creative control over the work that they go through is really the thing that, that like leading organizations are, are doing today.
1: And I think still often clients that I work with think about things in terms of a data team or larger organizations, maybe like a center of excellence or innovation. But I feel like, one, there's a communication bottleneck there, which I think you're kind of getting at. And it seems like Stitch Fix has done well to say, hey, the marketing team just articulates a broad goal that the data team can then have some freedom to operate within. But do you think it'd be better to live in a world where kind of this data savviness was embedded within every arm of the organization and you didn't have a data team, but rather you had a marketing team that thought about marketing and it maybe had one pretty solid data engineering skill level person on that team, one pretty solid ML person on that team, and they could just function to provide data value to the marketing arm of the org. When VisiCalc
2: first came out, <laughs> the spreadsheet was a pretty fundamentally new technology in terms of like how organizations use data. My guess is there were probably teams of people inside companies that were spreadsheet experts mm-hmm. and other people went to those people and said, Hey, can you help me yep. measure this stuff in a spreadsheet? And so I think it's crazy today to imagine like the spreadsheet team, because like <laughs> essentially like all companies do anymore is like make spreadsheets. Spreadsheets do, do stuff. That's business. <laughs> right. And my guess is that it's at a certain point, the skills that we're kind of talking about right now, which are centralized on a data team will just be like the skills that you need to have to like, do business stuff, but we're in the early days, and, and we're not there yet.
0: Well, and I, I would kind of push back because if we're talking about collaboration, I don't think I would want to be the only data engineer, data scientist on a team of people who were not also in the trenches with me, right? Like, I would still want to be in a dedicated data science team, and maybe my main client, so to speak, is the marketing department. Yeah, fair
1: enough. And you I know? think it gets complicated because if you think about it, there are efficiencies of scale to having like a data lake. And right. if you're the marketing team, you want to be able to get insights from other arms of the business and not be limited to just the data that you, the marketing team, has access to. So as I often say, Trevenny Touche, fair enough.
0: It's my favorite <laughs> favorite part of the podcast. Okay, so Tristan, one last question here before we we wrap it up. Is it possible to collaborate too much?
2: <laughs> I am very curious whether there is a right answer to that question, but I'll <laughs> I'll give you what I think. I think the answer is, yeah, I, th- I think you can collaborate too much. I think that sometimes there's a person with a problem and they do a good job of stating what that problem is. And then the best thing to do next is often to go into a hole with the data and figure out what there is to be learned. Hmm. And actually that is not best done by two brains. It's it's best done by one brain. And then you, you bring what you learned back to the group and you report back. But I think that there is a part of the data science and analytics workflow that is always going to be a, a solo endeavor. And honestly, I've been doing this for a long time, that's the part of it that is particularly fun to me. Like the collaboration is where really like the business impact is had, is where like the different heads bring their different perspectives and make sure that like we've thought of all the different angles and you can't really produce that kind of value in isolation. But it's typically one person that like gets to this like fundamental
1: insight that like no one realized before. And it's after hours of digging through the data. Tristan, thank you so much for your insights today. Really enjoyed having you on the show.
0: Yeah. I'm looking forward to learning more about dbt, I think.
1: Yeah. So where awesome. can we, where can the uh, listeners and viewers find you online?
2: Awesome. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, you can learn more about Fishtown analytics at fishtownanalytics.com and learn more about dbt at get And, uh, We've got a Slack community with like 4,500 members at this point. So love to love to chat with you in there.
0: Great. Thanks so much. Okay. So banana fact for the episode, Will, you drive. I do. Yeah. So do I, because I don't live in New York City, but it turns out the National Association of City Transportation Officials, which is a mouthful, did a study and they said the average time people spend waiting at a red light is about 75 seconds per red light. Okay. Okay. So that makes up like 20% of all of your driving. You're just sitting at a red light. Unless you live in New York City, in which case you're just like dashing across the street.
1: I hope not, but perhaps. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. All right. Thanks, Trevani. <laughs> That's all we've got for today in the world of Banana Data. We'll be back with another podcast in two weeks. But in the meantime, subscribe to the Banana Data newsletter to read these articles and more like them. We've got links for all the articles we discussed today in the show notes. All right. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure, Trevani.
0: It's been a great Well, See you next time.